In sports, there are certain qualities that every successful competitive athlete needs in order to succeed. Things like discipline, perseverance, being able to work hard and deal with setbacks. And although every athlete that makes it to the top has those, they're not all able to transition into the business world or into other fields of life. My next guest doesn't really need an introduction, but here's a small summary of his long list of achievements. Jimmy Pedro is a judo world champion and a double Olympic medalist. He was the first ever American judoka to be inducted into the International Judo Federation Hall of Fame. Besides many achievements and honors, he was chosen player of the year by Real Judo magazine for four times. Jimmy holds a seven degree black belt and as an Olympic coach, he was directly responsible for multiple Olympic champions, including Kayla Harrison, Travis Stevens, and Ronda Rousey, who later became a UFC champion. Today, he's the president of Fuji Mats and the vice president of Fuji Sports, two hugely successful companies that are doing eight-figure revenues and who are not only successful business-wise, but are also helping people all over the world, competitive athletes and sports teams to work towards their dream. And looking at Jimmy's mindset and drive, he's only just getting warmed up. So without further ado, here's my next guest, Jimmy Pedro. Uh, Jimmy, thank you very much for uh, being in this interview and taking the time to join us today. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Misha. We've known each other for quite some time, and I really appreciate the relationship. Yeah, yeah, likewise. And 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 especially um, uh, during this time, uh, I know it's it's hard all over the world with COVID-19 going on. So I think this is a especially good moment to ask you a little bit about your mindset, a bit about sports, a bit about business to kind of pick your brain on how you deal with setbacks, what your mindset is like in situations like this, so that people can uh, can use that and, and help them to get through the, the crisis that we're uh, experiencing right now. Uh, the first thing I, I would like to talk about is the transition from sports to business, because I think you are a very uh, good example in that and, and somebody that, that did that very successfully. Um, because all successful competitive athletes, they, they possess or have developed qualities that are very useful in business, like perseverance, worth at work ethic, dealing with injuries, things like that. But but still, many athletes are not able to uh, transition to the other fields in life after their comp competition career ends. Um, while some they might have leveraged their fame uh, in sports to to launch other ventures. Um, I guess the transition to coaching comes more natural, but um, how were you able to make the transition to business? Was it something you did very deliberately or did it kind of, did you kind of roll into that? Well, I, I was very fortunate. I was, you know, hired right after the Sydney Olympic games. Um, I was hired by a company that was a sponsor of the U S Olympic team. So the company was monster.com and they were starting, you know, they were just embarking on a, a sponsorship of four years for the U S Olympic team, but it was also, they were creating a, a, a position of a manager of their Olympic sponsorship. So they, they didn't want to just sponsor the team. They wanted to have a genuine Olympian as part of their team who was going to help other athletes. So right. they wanted it to be genuine. So I was the athlete they ultimately hired and selected to, to run their Olympic sponsorship program. So it was a great opportunity for me because it was, it was something I loved, right? It was about sports. It's about Olympics. But at the same time, I was able to learn from some really smart marketing guys because I worked in the marketing department, specifically on sports sponsorships, um, marketing techniques, tactics, online marketing, um, you know, building athletes' resumes. And it was all tied 
back to the Olympic movement, which is something I loved and I was passionate about. So it was a great uh, real world experience for me and a great first job because I was, you know, I was like 30, I was around 30 years old when they hired me. That was my first real job. You know, I had owned a dojo. I had run a dojo, you know, before that for three or four years. Um, I had done clinics and seminars and things like that, but this is my first office sort of real world experience. Right. And it was a great opportunity in terms of transitioning from sport to uh, life or work life um, or business. I think, you know, some of the things you mentioned are sort of the obvious, right? Perseverance, hard work, that sort of stuff. But the most important things to me um, are that you have to take risks in life. So you can't be complacent with where you're at. If you're not happy or things aren't working out, you have to take a risk. It's similar to like competing. If you never compete, you don't know what you're capable of. You don't know where your weaknesses are and you don't know what you need to improve upon. And you really don't know how good you are unless you test yourself. So you got to take a risk in, in competing. Same in business. Like if things aren't working out or you're unhappy or you're unsuccessful, you got to sort of change and take a risk and try something else. Uh, that's number one. Number two, you always have to be learning. You know, you have to be analyzing and learning what you can do better, how you can do better, what you can do differently. Um, and so for me, it's important to continue to learn, to continue to evolve and to take risks and not be afraid and, and be complacent with the status quo. So, you know, one thing I, I learned was when I was at monster.com, you know, the, it was after 9-11. So after the, the towers in New York went down and, and 9-11 hit, you know, the job market in America crashed. The company I happened to work for was made all of its money from job postings by employers. So the revenue stream of the company I was working for went from, you know, hundred million dollars down to hardly anything. So the company was, you know, laying off people. It was spiraling backwards. It got rid of its sports sponsorships. It got rid of its Olympic sponsorships. And here I am now in a job where it's no longer about sports. It's no longer about the Olympics. It's just about, you know, resumes and online marketing and things that I really wasn't passionate about. So, but I was making a salary. And at the time it was hard to find another job because it was a bad economy. But, you know, my wife actually is the one who convinced me. She said, Jimmy, if you're not happy, you know, you've got to take a risk. You've got to decide and go all in and do something else. And that's right. when I switched to, to be, you know, making martial arts, my full-time job, make it your pat, you know, take your passion, turn that into your work and it doesn't feel like work anymore. And as soon as I went a hundred percent into running my own dojo, you know, marketing and selling martial arts products, man, it just, from there, it just took off because everything was focused on, you know, one thing, which was right. martial arts and what I loved. Yeah. And, and did you like, did you completely uh, retire from competing at that point or did it kind of cross over for, for a while? So when I left, uh, so when I left monster.com was after I retired as a competitor, after the 2004 Olympic games, they supported yeah. me through the 24 Olympics. They gave me a flexible work schedule. You know, I represented the company, you know, as a brand ambassador. And then I went back to work for about six months after Athens. And that's when I, I decided to leave and make martial arts my passion yeah. and my business. Yeah. And how was it for you in the beginning? Obviously, the doing business must have been exciting, but how was it for you to the feeling of being retired from competition? Were you also like, okay, it's good now, it's it's done, or did you did you look back at that a lot? How, how was that for you? 
I mean, I, le- I left the sporting arena fulfilled. I finished, you know, on, on the podium at the Olympic Games in 2004. I won a bronze medal in the Olympics. Um, I was 34 years old, so somewhat older as a judo athlete. And I had been doing on the national scene since I was 17. So I did 17 years of international travel, international competition, competed in four Olympics, you know, was world champion. I had accomplished almost everything I wanted to in the sport, right? I wanted to win a gold medal in the Olympics. That didn't happen, but two bronze medals, I was, I was able to retire content knowing that I gave it my all. I, my last competition was a success. You know, anytime you can win an Olympic medal, it's a successful finish. And so I could, I could rest at peace. You know, I could leave and retire at peace. And at the time I was, you know, I was somewhat older, you know, and my body had a lot of miles on it. So it was, it was time to sort of move on and go on to that next phase. Yeah. I was ready. So you, and then naturally I made a transition into coaching, you know, naturally from that point, you know, I really put some focus on, at home on my dojo on preparing the next generation of elite athletes. The United States judo hired me um, to look after our most talented youth in the country and to develop a program to groom them for success. And so I spent eight years taking the next generation around the world, you know, and getting them ready for the 2012 and then the 2016 Olympic Games. Amazing. And, and I, I, it's just an assumption, um, but I would really like to, to know from you. I can imagine, although even in a post-competition career, you can do huge things, amazing things, but I, I can imagine at some level the high of being at the highest stage, highest podium in the world, uh, it's hard to trump that that feeling. How, how do you... Do you ever feel like that or is it like, no, there's, it's one thing and I can do a lot of other things uh, later on? You know, there, there is no greater high than being on the podium yourself or winning, you know, what it, reaching your goal and achieving your goal in sport. You, you just have, you know, competition brings out a lot of emotions, right? There, there's anxiety and there's fear of the what if, it, if it doesn't happen, there's the, you know, the workout and the feeling good and the endorphins that go through your body when you're training. There's the, you know, the thrill of competition. You know, there's the agony of of defeat and suffering and then pain and then learning and um, getting better for the next time. And there's in, in, you know, in sport, there's sort of ups and downs, right? There's peaks and valleys. You have the highest of highs and you have the lowest of lows, you know, and, and, you really can't replicate that in the business world. You really can't replicate that in real life. There's no, you don't, you don't no longer have those, those adrenaline rushes. Yeah. You know, and the, and the thrills of, of that, that sport brings you. But the next closest thing to that is actually being a coach because now you're, you're empathizing with your athletes. You're going through it with somebody else. You're seeing them suffer or you're seeing them elated when they succeed, you know? So the next best thing is to be a coach and to do it with others. And I love that, you know, I was as nervous or probably more nervous for Kayla and for Travis and for Marty Malloy and for all of my athletes, I, I would get more nervous than they did, you know, because ultimately as a coach, you don't control what happens out on the mat. You know, it, it's up to somebody else. You're the sort of puppet master trying to make it happen but throughout the day, you never get any adrenaline, any adrenaline out. You know, 
you're nervous the whole day. Whereas when, when you're a competitor, once you step out on the mat yeah. and start competing, you start sweating, the nervousness goes away. But as a coach, it never does. So you go the whole day being nervous. Yeah. You know, and that's why as a coach, you know, I, I always woke up early. I always got a workout in at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. I'd go running or I'd lift and I'd, I'd get all my energy out so that I was prepared for the day to go coach the athletes. Yeah. Do you think that's a topic that's kind of uh, uh, over uh, overlooked, under uh, exposed a bit? Like a lot of people and, and media pay attention to the mindset and, and stuff of the athlete. But maybe do you think we should look more at the uh, the mental skills of coaches? 100%. I, I really believe that a lot of the success of our United States judo team, you know, from the 28 Olympics until the 2016 Olympics was largely due to the mindset and the mentality of the staff and then was passed down to the athletes. You know, the athletes were were trained extremely hard, no different than any other team in the world. You know, everybody prepares physically, but I believe our, our where we won was we had a mental edge. Our athletes were mentally tough. They were, they were taught to use their, their minds to overcome things. They were, they were taught and, and led to believe that they were the best, whether they were or they weren't, they thought they were the best and that, um, you know, the, the mental training that they did allowed them to have success on the world stage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you were a great example of that, uh, uh, coaching multiple, uh, Olympic champions, uh, Olympic medals, world champions, um, As you said before, not all top athletes uh, are able to make the transition, or as I said before, actually. But but besides doing that successfully yourself, you are also uh, actually very good at what you're doing right now Like as a business person. Uh, I've worked with you and your company for over the past five years, and I've really seen you uh, that you're great at sales, leadership, uh, brand building. And those are not all things that you necessarily learn in judo i can imagine in a judo competition career have you always been an entrepreneurial person and um how were things like that looked upon when you grew up like in in your family or in the environment that you grew up in so entrepreneurship doing having your own business how how, how did people uh look at that and were you already kind of an entrepreneurial uh type of person no not really but you know, education was extremely important to my, my mom. So my mom was a, she was a teacher. She was a school teacher. And, you know, she, ever since I was a little kid, she taught me everything, puzzles and math and, you know, reading. And she really stressed the importance of education. And my father was the exact opposite. My father was all about, you know, sports and hard work and being a good person and, and you know, integrity and, you know, ach achieving success comes from, earning success, you know, earning the right to win. So I had a great balanced life when I was a kid because my mom was about education. My dad was about hard work. So I combined the two and, and I became sort of the ultimate, I don't know, person, if you will, right. Yeah. That had good balance. It wasn't just about sport. It wasn't just about school. It was a blend of both. And school really came easy for me as a kid because, you know, my mom gave me the great skill set, you know, to be ready to, to tackle education. But, Uh, so they sent me to a really good pre pre preparatory um, high school. So I went to a really hard, good Catholic uh, high school, which prepares, you know, kids for, for college. So I went to a really good high school. I ended up getting into a really good university. 
I was accepted to both Harvard University and Brown University in America. And I had that wow. choice of where I wanted to go. I ended up choosing going Ivy League, which to Brown University as my as my college of choice. And um, I finished a four year degree at Brown in business. So I, I graduated with a business marketing degree. Yeah. You know, so I wasn't just an athlete at the Olympic level. I was also, you know, pursuing the highest levels of edu- education as well. So between the work ethic and, and the education, um, I think I was well armed and positioned for success. As far as being an entrepreneur, you know, that my father was a firefighter. My mother was a school teacher. Work for government. We have that family. You know, my dad you know, for, for 30 years and he never made any money from judo, you know, any money he made, he put back into the team into the kids and travel. And he wanted to produce the best athletes in the world. That was his agenda. Yeah. But I said, why not both? Why can't you run a great school, produce champions and still make money along the way? There has to be a way. So I learned from, you know, karate, taekwondo, some of the best business guys in martial arts, you know, I paid consultants to help me restructure my dojo, you know, help me write my curriculums for my school. You know, I really took the business mindset and applied it to my judo academy. And as a result, you know, I went from a club that always had about 60, 60 athletes or 60 judoka doing judo to over 200. You know, now my dojo had before coronavirus, I had 260 enrolled full-time judo members at my academy, yeah. which for a judo dojo, that's phenomenal. You know, that's a really high number, right? Uh, especially for a very obscure sport like judo in America. So we were doing some great things, uh, and we continue to do some great things. And now we've, you know, we've adapted, we've evolved. We do. We have a full schedule of classes online for our students. You know, hardly any of my members have have discontinued their memberships because, you know, we convey to them that it's important. For your kids to stay in judo, to keep learning, to have a sense of, of, of community. You know, right now, all these kids are at home with nothing to do. There's no structure in their day. And judo is giving them structure. It's giving them a sense of community. They get to see their friends on Zoom classes. They get to see their sensei. You know, they're being, it's being reinforced to, you know, continue to work out every day, to eat healthy, to help mom and dad, to get your schoolwork done. You know, and they have to be someplace every day and they're accountable, you know, to keep their judo training going. We have a full line of classes where we give online classes. We have workouts, you know, conditioning workouts they can do online. We have stretching classes. We have one-on-one seminars where 15 minutes, each sensei sits with 15 minutes and talks to that person and connects with them. You know, we've got a lot of stuff going on for our school, which, you know, is being offered, um, which they find very valuable, I guess. So again, we're trying to adapt with the times and do what we can. Each week I sit down with as many of my students as they as want. And we go through some of my old videos and tapes of, you know, competing in my first world championships, competing in my Olymp- each Olympic games. I'm walking them through matches. I'm sharing my experiences, my wins, my losses, just trying to inspire them, you know, to, to stay motivated, stay interested and, showing that it is possible, you know, and that they need to continue to work out and train at home because it's not a matter of, of, of if we're going to come back. It's a matter of when we're going to be able to start training again. Right. Of you course. Know, let's be ready for the time when it comes. 
is because you've you've uh, also from a professional career you lived through the uh, the nine eleven uh, crisis and and the whole thing developing around that. Is that something you took from there also? Did you learn like hey something like this starts but it also ends at some point again? Yeah, you know the hardest part with with nine eleven compared to COVID nineteen is that you know it was pretty much a domestic incident, right? Nine I mean, eleven was really about. Sure, it was ISIS and it was on the other side of the world, but you know, it was all about USA and it was New York based. You know, even people in other parts of our country, it, it affected them, it affected everybody in the country, but it was localized in New York. And yeah. at the same time, you know, you could be around other people. You could still go about your daily life. You know, you could do other things to forget about what's going on, right? Right. But yeah. COVID-19 you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything and you can't socialize and interact with other people. It's the strangest time that I've ever been a part of because we're humans are very social beings. We get enjoyment and benefit about being around others, sharing laughs, telling stories. And when you're in your house and you can't interact with anybody, it feels very weird, you know, as everybody in the world knows. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm very happy uh, we have this opportunity to to interact over Zoom. Uh, my next question, you kind of answered uh, partly already, in in that you uh, that education has played a, a very important role in your life. If we look at the nature versus nurture question, do you think it's balanced the same way in business as it is in judo? What do you mean it's balanced? Like meaning. Uh, I would also like to hear your vision on that. Like what part of becoming a successful judo athlete is, is genetics and what is talent? Uh, sorry. What is, uh, so which part is talent? Which part is, is taught? Which part is learned? And do you think it's balanced the same as uh, for judo athlete than as a successful entrepreneur, a successful business person, the, the distribution, distribution, Distribution between so those think, two you know, facets. I think for sports, I think for some sports, you have to be born genetically, you know, to do them. Obviously, if you're a world class sprinter, you know, I think you have to be born with fast twitch muscles, and you have to be genetically, you know, ready to do it. Because regardless of how much Jimmy Pedro trains in track and field, I'm never going to run a sub 10, you know, a, a sub 10 second hundred meter sprint. It's just, right. I wasn't genetically born to do that. Like that's not even, it's not even possible for me to get there. I can improve my time. I can get as fast as possible, but I'm never going to be that. So some sports, I think are genetically predisposed to do them. I think a grappling art like judo or jujitsu, I think that's, that's nurture. You're not born that way. I think that can be a learned skill, a learned talent. And, right. you know, people that, that are willing to put in the time and train, and work really, really hard and learn and develop can get and reach the, the top. I really can. I don't think that's genetic, you know? So, and then even, you know, I don't know how many of you have been watching the, the last dance, you know, with Michael Jordan and the whole right. story about, you know, his story, the 10 episode thing that they have going on right now. But you look at what a competitor Jordan was, you know, sure. He's very athletic. He, he is a, you know, a very athletic guy, but, He was really, really skinny, you know, skinny kid, not very muscular, you know, great talent. But one thing that he did more than anybody else is he worked. That guy, that guy willed himself to succeed. He would not accept anything but success, you know, right. and he always found something to motivate him. 
if the guy smirked at him the wrong way or made a comment that rubbed him the wrong way, he made it his personal mission. Even if he had to wait a full year till the next finals of the NBA championships, he made it a personal mission to prove that other person wrong through hard work. And, you know, so I think that success in athletics in, in most sports, not all sports can be from nurture. Right. Right. You're not necessarily born that way, but you can do it in terms of, you know, being an entrepreneur, you know, some people really just aren't um, genetically disposed to taking risk. You know, they want the safe route. And so, so I don't think that, I don't think you're, I don't think you could, it can be nurtured. I think that you have to be a risk taker and you have to be somebody that's willing to take ownership of your successes or your failures. And there's a certain type of person that's predisposed to, to wanting to do that. And it has a willing to get out of their comfort zone and do that. But from there, then success can be nurtured. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you can learn along the way you can groom somebody and teach them your ways. You can show them and lead them. But if somebody's really just averse to risk and doesn't want all of that to fall on their shoulders, doesn't matter what you teach them. They just, it's not the way they're wired. They'd rather have safe, you know, safe uh, income and know what they're going to make and budget. And they're happy doing that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and mentioning uh, the Jordan example, do you like that hunger for, uh, for success and that unbelievable drive? Do you, do you still feel like that compared to uh, during your competition career and now in business or is it different? Do you have that like, ultimate goal that you did you want to achieve still super competitive yes yeah. i still am super competitive i want to succeed yes i want to be the best i want every time i look at you know uh sales numbers or i'm up in you know, I'm, i'm in a competition against another brand i want to win that order i want to win that deal i want to help that person you know i want to build the dream dojo i want to outfit that team and our, our fuji gear Yeah. You know, I am really proud of, of what I've created and I want every, I want our name known by everybody worldwide. And that's why, you know, I, I try to partner with the best people and it's not, it's not always about money. In fact, it's rarely about money because I know that if I help somebody achieve their dream, whether it's their dream dojo and they get to open a beautiful facility they've always wanted, or I help them outfit their team in really cool gear, you know, I know that that per I've helped that person and they remember that I helped that person. And in turn, they then refer others to us and it increases our business awareness. It increases our op opportunity for success, you know, and it is a form of marketing for us. So, you know, I've always done that from the beginning, even when guys start out and it's their very first gym, their very first dojo, Now, regardless of who they are, I try to put a lot of time and attention into making them feel super important and in sight that they've chosen the right partner in Fuji. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I also uh, I've been working with you for for many years now, and I see that in every uh, every deal that we go after, always that enthusiasm and that competitive uh, drive that you described. Do you have some kind of ultimate goal in terms of business right now, like some some big goal that you want to work towards? Let's say five years, ten years from now, is there something that you're really aiming for? 
I mean, I still, I, I still want to see a lot of global growth. You know, Fuji's got a really good, strong foothold here in, in the United States. You know, we are, we did come up as a fabric, a part of the fabric of, of jujitsu, you know, so Fuji is known as a jujitsu brand or a grappling brand, which is awesome. Um, as through you and, and uh, your company in Europe, we have Fuji Mats Europe, we have Fuji Sports Europe. We've done a good job in, in, in growing in Europe and finding the right partners in Europe to grow with. And I do think that that's sort of that Europe is the next explosive growth market, you know, for, for jujitsu and grappling. And so I, I look forward to the next, you know, three to five years in Europe together. Um, we found a really good partner now in Australia who's now carrying both the Fuji sports brand and the Fuji mass brand. And we're starting to see a lot more success in that market. Um, you know, I'd really like to get to the middle East. I have some discussions once the coronavirus gets over, I'd like to really explore the Middle East in a big way. And I have a really good, strong partner, potential partner there in Palm Sports. Great. And if we can really solidify that partnership, then, you know, I'd be really excited to, to grow in the Middle East together with them. And so my goal is to continue to spread Fuji and not just make it as big as possible, but, you know, make it as impactful as possible. You know, really help grappling arts um, get the credibility they deserve worldwide you know, and help those athletes become, you know, business owners and open gyms and grow the grappling world, you know, the numbers of people that are doing grappling, because it is a very healthy lifestyle and it does create good people. You know, it, it, it creates good citizens, you know, it's about respect and discipline and hard work and, you know, the attributes that martial artists uh, represent, you know, is important to me. It's the type of character that we're, we're, we're creating in this society. So, yeah. And, you know, when I look at my company, you know, I, I really like taking care of the people that work for me. You know, I don't really see my, my, my employees as, as workers or employees. I see them as my, their extensions of my family. You know, I want to take care of them. I want to reward them for the hard work that they do. Um, they have families to support, you know, and I think it's important that they enjoy their jobs and feel that their leadership does care about them and will help them. And vice versa. Anything I asked of them, they'll do for me. And anything they asked of me, I'll do for them. Like, I, I typically, you know, I, I really like looking after them. Because uh, yeah. I know that in the end, it'll pay off and it'll help us be a greater company that'll be able to achieve, you know, success together. You're only as good as, you're only as, good as your employees, right? And, and the people that work for you. Yeah. And they all have become, or your partners that you choose. You know, it is about choosing good people that are passionate, that care about everything, that are conscientious, that want quality, you know, so you have to align yourself with, with like-minded individuals to succeed in business. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you guys are really in business as, as a sports team, almost that kind of connectedness and, and, and drive that you share together. If, if everything uh, that you have built over the years would be taken away from you, Jimmy, what what would you do? Like if let's say for whatever reason it was all gone, would you start another business? And and if so, what industry or what what would you do if if you have to start from scratch? I would start another business. Yes, I I would find an opportunity to start something new. You know, if if they said sorry, grapplers, but you know for the next five years nobody can go go into a gym and you can't train because you can't social distance. I'm sorry, but you're not going to be allowed for five years. Companies, 
There'd yeah. be no reason for anybody to buy mats for their gym. There'd be no reason for anybody to buy geese for training. So it ruined Fuji sports. My own dojo would disappear because, you know, people wouldn't be able to grapple in my gym. So, you know, that would disappear and go away. So, you know, I'd probably, you know, as some sort of entrepreneur, I would try to get involved in another company. You know, I know how to, I know how to source products. I know how to run websites. I know I have the infrastructure for warehouse and fulfillment. So I'd probably, probably ultimately end up going into some sort of medical device related company where we would buy and sell and manufacture, you know, thermometer scans or masks or, you know, something, something yeah. that, that is in high demand. Maybe it's cleaning products and disinfecting products. You have to find something new that would be in high demand and go create another brand in that space. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's all uh, booming right now. Those products. Right. Um, next topic that I would like to talk about is, uh, has to do very specifically with mindset and motivation. Um, and we, we touched on that a little bit already. Um, what do you think are the main qualities that you have developed over decades of judo training? You, you mentioned, um, um, being able to, uh, deal with risk risk taking that that's something that comes in both sports and in business are there any other f- qualities that you have developed through your judo training that you or, or maybe that are necessary to be able to compete at a high level that you're still applying in business today when it comes to mindset motivation those type of aspects yeah so i mean there there is somewhat of a formula to it um you know the first thing is is creating a vision you have to know what it is you're trying to create. You have to know, um, you have to visualize what you want to become reality. So for example, um, my dojo, when I first started, you know, really doing my dojo hundred percent, everybody told me that it's not possible to run a big dojo, successful commercial dojo that has lots of students and in the same dojo produce champions because you have to water down the skill. You have to back off and make it easy if you want to have a big dojo. And so my vision was, I remember the day I gave the speech to, I grabbed all of the instructors and all of the black belts and they have all done judo the old way, like my dad's way, like hardcore, you know, um, they only know one way. I got all the black belts and instructors. I said, this is my vision guys. I want to have, 200 full-time people training at my school. That was my goal. I only had 60 at the time. I said, we're going to go to, I want 200 to be the number. We're going to have 200 recreational dojo, you know, recreational players in my school. At the same time, I want to have the best junior competition team that exists in the United States. And I want to produce Olympic athletes out of this same facility. You guys are going to help me. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a curriculum. I'm going to ask each of you to, to select novice, intermediate, advanced of which curriculum you can teach and specialize in. I'm going to break up my classes into much smaller chunks. I'll write the curriculum. I will teach you how to teach all the courses because I can't teach every class. I will teach you how I want it taught. And along the way, you guys can earn your next ranks and help me create this dojo that creates Olympic champions and also helps four, five, six-year-olds, as well as 80-year-old people doing judo. And sure enough, you know, six, seven years later, 
We had our first Olympic medalist, and we also had over 200 people in my dojo. So I created the vision. You have to have the vision. Then you have to figure out what your goals are. I want to produce champions, and I want to have this number of students. I want to generate money. I want to make it a professional business. So you paint the picture, and then you have to go to work. You know, you have to do it. Similarly, for the U.S. team, I remember when I took charge of the elite athletes, the under 23, the young, talented group in the United States, you know, the first speech I gave them was, again, creating the vision. This is what I want. This is the leadership. This is what I want to happen. And you, you, you paint the picture for your athletes of, I want to have, I, I want the United States. I'm going to put you, I want to put United States judo on the map again. I am sick and tired of being, you know, a second rate or a third rate team. I want to become a powerhouse in the world of judo. I will give you everything I have, all of my, you know, mental fortitude, the, the lessons I've learned, the work ethic, the techniques. I will travel the world with you in exchange from you. I want a commitment. I want you to, I want you guys to become tough, you know, sons of bitches. I want you guys to be really mean, tough guys, tough girls. I want you to be the first one on the mat, the last one to leave the mat. If you get hurt, you come see me. Nobody walks off the mat. I don't want to see anybody sitting down with ice packs on. The only way you're leaving this practice, if we can't tape it and the ambulance has to take you out, then you can go to the hospital but you are not going to tape your hand, go sit on the sideline for one day and come back the next day and train. You're not injured. You're just hurting. We're all going to be hurting. And if you want to become champions, I will show you the path. We can get there, but it's going to be a lot of hard work. Either you're in or you're out. Let me know. So if you create the vision, you set the goals and what the expectations are with strong leadership and the right people under you who buy into your goals and buy into your vision, you can create success. And whether that's a company or whether that's, you know, a, a business or, you know, athletic endeavor or a school system, whatever it is, you've got to get everybody on board with your vision, you know, and then you've got to come up with the programs and the plans to sort of execute, you know, and that's what I've done with, with our companies. We, you know, we want to become you know, if you want to be produce quality gear, then you've got to have quality control in place. You've got to make sure that everything you're putting out is quality. And if there's a, a problem with a factory or there's a problem with the product line, you've got to identify it. You've got to pull it off the shelves. You've got to get rid of it. You've got to fix it. So, you know, you've got to create that vision. And then, and then the other thing I, that in sports and in business is that you've got to, you've got to really visualize it and make it real to you it can't just be some pipe dream. It really, you have to like close your eyes and, and visualize those goals becoming a reality. And I believe that if you, if you do that enough times, you, your mind sees it enough, it makes it believable and it actually helps make it possible. Your body will then, your mind, your body will then go help it, help it achieve it. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of athletes that say, oh, I want to be Olympic champion. Right. And then they go do all the hard work, but they really don't live and feel what it's like to be Olympic champion every day. You know, they, they, it's just a dream. It's not real enough. So if you make it real, you visualize it. Like when I close my eyes and visualize success at the Olympic level or in business and what I want, I actually get goosebumps. It's that real to me. 
Like right. it's that meaningful. And when it becomes that meaningful to your mind and you're passionate about it, then the work will get done. And that's your motivator. And is that you know? something you do in a structured way? Like every morning, let's say a certain time, you sit down and visualize that success? Or is it something that just comes naturally throughout the day randomly? I don't do it in business. You know, I don't do it every day in business because I know what my, you know, I know what I want to create and know what I want, but in sport. Yes. Yeah. Like I think when it's, you know, right, right now we're in a tough state, right? Right now, the important thing is to stay positive. The important thing is know that we will prevail, have the attitude that we are going to get through this. We are going to survive. We're going to figure out how to cut costs. We're going to take care of our employees. We're going to make sure they're looked after. We're going to work with our vendors. We are going to get through this. We're going to, you know, find creative ways to come up with new ways to drive revenue, new ways to help customers. You know, we have to change the way we do business a little bit, but we are going to get through this. And once we do come out the other side, we're going to be stronger because of what we went through together. So it's important to stay positive through this time, but at the same time, you know, it's hard to have like a true vision. I want to conquer the world. Well, right now we got to respect, be respectful of what's going on. Right. You yeah. Know, we've got to, we've got to make sure we get through it. And then once we come through the other side and business starts coming back, then we can reset our goals and figure out exactly what we're going to do. Yeah. You know, so I don't get up, I don't visualize that every day, but it's always in the back of my mind that that's what I want. Right. Yeah. When when you just uh, described the speech that you gave at the at the dojo, the vision, then when you when you shared the vision about where you where you wanted to end up, I I could feel the spirit of that. So I can imagine being there at the moment when you actually gave the speech. That must have been a a very inspiring moment. I I was kids, one. Sorry. The, 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 what's you know the kids tell me, you know when I when I spoke with them at that dojo about you know, what I wanted my, my Pedro's judo center business to become. And the, the, when I spoke with the elite athletes about putting United States judo on the map, they all remember that day very clearly. And I say, sensei, that moment for me was a wake up that if I wanted to be a champion, I needed to commit, I needed to follow and I needed to do. And, you know, it's amazing because, you know, in the, in the 2016 Olympics, us team, finished fifth in the world in the sport of judo. We only had, we only had five athletes compete at the Olympic games and we took fifth in the world. I mean, there were teams from France, Japan, Russia, et cetera, that had full teams, right. 14 athletes competing. We finished fifth in the world with five athletes and, and a budget that was, you know, $500,000 is, is the whole budget for the United States judo team at all levels, including coaches, salaries, athlete salaries, development opportunities, junior judo, you know, yeah. and our travel budget. That's 500 grand. I mean, there's some countries that have budgets of $10 million and $20 million per year that wow. we're up against. Yeah. And, you know, so what we, what we accomplished was truly amazing, you know, and, and after the Olympics, the Russian Olympic team, they had three gold medalists at the 2012 Olympics. After that Olympics, they came to Boston and said for a month, just to learn the culture, see the dojo, experience America, learn English, et cetera. They came to my dojo and they're like, where are all the athletes? We said, this is our team. This is who we train with. <laughs> and they looked at me like, no, it's not possible. You guys just finished with a gold medal and a bronze medal and a fifth at the Olympics. This is it. This is it guys. Yes. This is who we train with. They were shocked because yeah. they have hundreds and hundreds of black belts to train with. 
you know, and we got to work out sometimes with 15 guys. Yeah. So, do you when people tell you something can be done like they told you before about your dojo that you could grow it into something that and produced competitive winners and was a commercial success for recreative students um when people tell you no are you kind of thankful to them like okay now that you told me that i really want to do it just to show you <laughs> that it can be done yes like right. i said Yes, it's definitely motivating. Don't challenge don't challenge me to something that can't be done because we definitely will prove you wrong. We'll find a way to get it done. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I always say it's it's positive can do attitude. You've got to have a positive can do attitude to achieve success in anything. There's no such thing as no. There's no such thing as can't. Where there's a will, there is a way. You've got to solve it, figure it out, dig in, work hard. Listen, you know, you hear it from successful people all the time, but you know, there's no, like I spent in, in my life, I can't tell you how many like all nighters I had to pull in high school and in college, like all nighters where I just, you know, I was a division one level wrestler who wrestled at Brown university. I was going to school at a business school. You know, I graduated with a 3.8 GPA. I was training for the Olympics in judo. You know, I was a multi-sport athlete and there's, I had to get up early. Listen, 5 a.m., wake up, get to the gym, get your workout in, go yeah. to school all day, study, go to wrestling afterwards. Get you. It just doesn't matter. Like, you just got to grind. You know, and if you grind it with passion and you tell, you, you refuse to accept defeat and loss, you know, you can achieve success. And, and one of the things that I do a lot with my athletes is, is I share my failures with them. Because in life, you know, a lot of times, you know, especially now in the social media world, you have access to successful people. And all you hear about is, wow, so-and-so won this. So-and-so has this gold medal. So-and-so broke this record. Wow, they're amazing in business. All you see is the successes. Nobody posts online, hey, look at me getting my butt whooped. Look at me getting thrown free poem. Right. Look at me going bankrupt this time. Like, you have to understand that all successful people lost, failed, suffered, you know, in their human, you know, for every, for every success we've had, we might've had two, three, four, five failures right. or tough times we went through where we wanted to quit, where we wanted to, where we cried, you know, where we, where we just broke down and felt like failures, like, that's the stuff that people need to hear that you are human. Because I think what happens is champions, everything. Yeah. No, they have hearts too. Persevered. They learned from them and it made them tougher. Yeah. And do you, um, have you seen examples of people that may maybe worked as hard as you, but for whatever reason, they didn't make it? maybe specific injuries or in business that you see people that, that also tried, but for some reason they didn't make it. Is, do you also think that there, that, um, that it's important also for people to see things in perspective that there's only, there can only be a certain amount of, of winners of champions. That's certainly the case. Obviously, you know, it happens with injuries a lot. Yes. You see people that dedicate their lives and, you know, for one reason or another, it didn't work out for them. 
whether it's an injury that prevented them from competing at the highest stage or the biggest level, or it was a circumstance in their life that took them out of the equation. And they, you know, for example, the coronavirus, right? Yeah. You know, there's lots of athletes that this was their last year of competition and it was their senior year and they've dedicated their entire lives to the sport and they didn't get a chance to compete for the national title or at the Olympic level, you know, they didn't get a chance to compete at the Olympics and now they're going to wait a whole nother year. Well, what if they get injured in the next year? Now their opportunity is gone. So there are circumstances in life that are beyond all of our control, right? But one thing is for sure, you will never get there if you don't commit and do 100% of what's possible to give yourself a chance when the time does come. So it doesn't work out for everybody. But what I tell my students and I tell my, my colleagues is that just knowing that you gave it 100%, just knowing that you went through all of those struggles and you persevered and you didn't quit makes you a champion because you will now have all of the tools to be successful in anything you decide to do. And so whether it didn't work out this time or, or next, you will be successful. Like for me, like my goal was to be Olympic champion. I wanted to be the first ever Olympic gold medalist. You know, and for me, I didn't, I didn't get there. You know, and I I have some reasons why I didn't get there, you know, things that were beyond my control, but, you know, I didn't have the coach that I wanted at all. My dad wasn't able to be the coach of the Olympic team for a lot of political reasons. If he was able to travel the world with me my whole life and drill me and spend the amount of time with me that, that he and I did with Kayla and Travis and everybody else, I may have been the Olympic champion, but it didn't work out for me. I don't see it as a failure. Right. I mean, it's still two medals is two medals. It's great, but it really wasn't my ultimate goal. My ultimate goal was to be an Olympic champion. But what I took from that was it wasn't meant to be. My story wasn't compelling enough. It wasn't strong enough. Like it was meant for Kayla. It was meant for a 15 year old girl to come along in my life and, and who went through some severe hardship, who, who was sexually abused. And there was a reason why she landed on my doorstep and came to my academy. And it was destiny that we were going to help her become the first ever Olympic champion because it brings that much more attention to judo, that much more attention to the story. And if I didn't go through the things that I went through and learned, you know, the mental, the mental side of the game, the visualization, the training methodology, I couldn't, I couldn't have helped her become Olympic champion. If I didn't go through what I if I didn't go through what I went through in my career, she would not have been Olympic champion. You know, so all the pieces came together and we did something that was much bigger than myself. I helped somebody else do it, which was, trust me, just as rewarding. Yeah. That, that, that's awesome. It, it's, uh, yeah, I, I'm a little bit uh, looking for words right now. Beautiful story also. Are you uh, a spiritual person or a religious person? I do believe I do believe in a God. Yes, I was raised Catholic as a child. Um, I'm not somebody who goes to church every Sunday, but I am somebody who 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 speaks with God often and who prays and who you know wishes you know wishes and and you know prays for health and safety and and success and you know who gives back. Yeah, 
but I do believe in a God. And again, I, 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 you know, it's hard sometimes some things happen in this world that just aren't fair, you know, and, and you question and you often wonder like, how is that even possible? Yeah. If there is a God, how is it even possible, if, you know, that they let this happen or he, he, he or she let this happen. But I think having faith um, in something, in, in something greater than yourself, um, it is important. And I think it, I think there is a being that helps us and guides us. Last question. Um, we've, we've already talked about it, but maybe summarizing, what would be the number one advice that you would give to young athletes as well as young aspiring business people or entrepreneurs uh, when it comes to developing like a winner's mentality and a, a successful mindset? Just believe, believe in yourself first. Believe, believe the impossible is possible. Believe that you can achieve anything. Don't be afraid to take any risks. Know that you're going to fail and that you're going to work, have to work really, really hard and learn from all of your mistakes. Don't be afraid of anything. Success cannot happen if you don't take chances and take risks. You know, and I look back on my career, you know, there were many, many times where it would have been easy just to say, ah, I can't be a gold medalist, so quit. Like, don't worry about fighting back for a bronze. Don't worry about, you know, finishing third on the podium. It doesn't matter. Like, there were many times where all of the odds were stacked against me to, to, to be successful, but somehow I found a way. Found, somehow I never quit. Somehow I always stepped up and took, you know, took on the challenge. So, you know, have, a, have an entrepreneurial mindset. Believe that you can achieve anything. Don't let anybody tell you you can't. You know, just dig deep, figure it out. Figure out a ways for success. Surround your people with, surround yourself with other successful people. Like to me, that's the never quit mentality. You know, never throw in the towel and always, and always just, you know, persevere. And I know it seems cliche, but, you know, success doesn't happen overnight. You know, it doesn't come quickly. And it, it, it does take a lot of character to get there. Yeah. You know, you're going to have a lot of battle scars and a lot of battle wounds and a lot of, a lot of times where things seemed unfair. Thanks so much, Jimmy, for sharing that. Um, I definitely feel that's an important message, especially now for young people in a Instagram, social media world where people try to show themselves as very successful in, in different ways, beautiful or rich or, or, or muscular or whatever. But Of course, uh, it seems like those things happen overnight, but it, it's important, I I think, also for people to understand that that takes time and, and you just need to keep building on your dream and, and on your successes. I, I re Sorry. I think that the other, you know, the other thing for the social media crew and stuff like that, you know, you have to realize that those, I say this all the time, I don't get any enjoyment whatsoever out of social media. I know it's very important for business and I know you have to be plugged into social media and you have to be relevant right. and you have to be present, but I find zero enjoyment of, of looking at social media and following people and, and doing that stuff because it's not real. You know, it, everybody always shows their best face. Like I said, everybody always shows about, look at me on the podium. Look at me. Uh, you know, like you said, working out, look at me do this, but, It, you know, those people all have 
their problems. They all have their struggles. They all have their failures. They, they have bad times. And it's sort of a false sense of reality if you're only looking at, wow, they're always so happy. That's not true. Nobody's that happy all the time. It's impossible. You know, unless you live in a bubble and, you know, you, you know, you're just happiness doesn't come from money either. It comes from fulfilling. It comes from, you know, helping other people um, achieve things and accomplish things and, and, and seeing smiles on their faces. You know, and that's why it's so awesome to be able to connect on, on Zoom because you actually can like read people's faces and see their, their happiness and enjoyment or you can connect with them you know, more personally, you know, so I would just say like, you know, the social media instant gratification is, is it's, it's really a false sense of reality. Definitely. Yeah, totally. Well, well, Jimmy, I uh, really want to thank you for your time and, and sharing your, your knowledge, your experience, your wisdom with us. And, and also the, uh, if you talk about spirituality or religion, uh, I think people can really feel your, your spirit always shining whatever you do like whether you're on this call right now or when you're working or of course uh, earlier on in your competitions so that alone i think is a, is a big uh, motivator and inspiration for other people as well so so thank you for your time today of course Misha, it's my pleasure